health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Heather Fuselier. Healthy Heather Fuselier is a national board certified health and wellness coach, certified tobacco treatment specialist, certified running coach, and employee well-being consultant specializing in helping people live healthy, balanced lives. She's the author of Happy Healthy You, Breaking the Rules for a Well-Balanced Life, host of the Heather Solves Everything podcast, and teaches the Am I Hungry Mindful Eating Program to help people break up with dieting and eat fearlessly. In the episode, Heather shares the difference between appetite and hunger, how to eat more mindfully on vacation, at social events, and throughout the holidays, tips to stop emotional eating, and more. If you're liking this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd write a review and share it with a friend. Enjoy the episode. I'm Brooke Simonson, certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. I've done several episodes on mindful eating, emotional eating, and I feel like I can't do enough because my audience loves them. I think it's a challenge most, if not all people have currently, or at least sometime in their life. And I always learn something new from every mindful, emotional eating expert. So really excited to pick your brain today and hear your take on this topic. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, let's see how I measure up. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. No pressure <laughs> at all. <laughs> Can you start a bit by telling us about your background and what led you to become a national board certified health and wellness coach and to specialize in mindful eating? Absolutely. I've been working as a certified health coach since 2011, I actually left a 15-year career in nonprofit management to work with people to help them live healthy, balanced lives. It was the type of thing that I was doing you know, on the side and started to become a bigger and bigger part of my life. And at, at that time, certified health coaching was new, and we were kind of finding our way in what is this look like as a profession. And over time, um, we've developed the national board certification, which um, is really helpful because it creates a structure for health and wellness coaching. Um, anybody who has ever been on the internet is fully aware of wellness coaches who want to help you live your best life. And Everybody has a little bit of a different twist on that. For me, I really enjoy working with people to help them slow down, take a look around, do a bit of a, of a check on whether or not the life that they're living 
reflects their values and what's really important to them mm-hmm. and then help them realign. And then I also have this individual quest, I guess it's probably not very individual because everybody is joining me on it of re- reshaping my relationship with food and through my own work in that area became kind of, you know, just kind of more invested in developing a, a true skill set there. And, um, and I enjoy that work so much. It's just so rewarding and something that so many of us can relate to. Hmm. I relate to your story. I left a 12 year teaching career to become a nutrition coach. So I feel that I think it's very cool now that, you know, we realize we don't have to stay in the same career forever. If something else strikes your fancy, yeah, you can pursue a new passion later in life. So who knows where I'll be in 20 years, but, uh, I think (laughs) it's, it's cool to make that pivot and to keep following what is your passion and what interests you. Can you explain in your terms what mindful eating is and how it maybe differs from how we've thought about eating traditionally? Oh, gosh, that's such a fun question because it's like (laughs) so many different questions. So, okay, so first, I think the first thing that I would say is mindful eating, in my words, is being part of the process, you know, kind of stepping out of the automatic behaviors and habits that we are, it's so easy to be in all of the time where I get up, I get my coffee, I get food, I do this, I do this, I do this. And disrupting that process and really being a participant with, first of all, exploring, am I even hungry? What do I feel like eating? How hungry am I? And and really being a participant in that process. But then when you ask how, you know, how is it connected to how we've traditionally thought about eating? Mm -hmm. Well, my first, the first place that my brain goes to is I think it is how we traditionally thought about eating Mm -hmm. way back. Like when we didn't have as many distractions as we have today, I think that we were probably much more attuned to our hunger signals, um, you know, in different, depending on, you know, where you are and, you know, kind of what your resources are eating seasonally, eating what's available, eating, you know, to your hunger level. And so in that way, I think mindful eating is really kind of getting back to how eating should be. Mm -hmm. But if traditional is like modern, I mean, it's almost black and white. You know, we, we live in, in a circumstance now where we have a lot of self doubt about whether or not we're making good choices with food. Um, you know, we have a lot of rules, um, many of which are very confusing or conflicting or contradictory. I think it's a very confusing space right now. So mindful eating, even though it's in, in its simplicity, seems big and scary sometimes. Mm-hmm. As you were describing that, I was thinking, you know, when you said it's almost getting back to the way we used to eat, Another thing I would add to that, I don't know if you agree or disagree, is even how we ate as small children. Because I was talking to a client yesterday, I don't have kids yet, but she has a little boy, I think he's four. And 
an example she gave, she said, I'm learning so much for my kids. Now that I've started kind of tuning into my own hunger and fullness cues, she's watching them and she's learning. So he brought home his lunchbox and he had a cookie left. And she said, Oh, that's so interesting. Why didn't you eat your cookie? And he said, Oh, cause I was playing with my friends and I didn't have time. And she kind of joked like, what? You didn't have time for a cookie. You know, this is your favorite cookie. And he goes, mom, why would I eat that really fast and not enjoy it? If I know I can just keep it in my lunchbox and eat it when I get home, when I have time. And her mind was just blown. She was like, Whoa, I would never, I would just eat the cookie rushed. And then she thought, this is brilliant. This is so smart. And he is just very in tune when, mm-hmm. you know, distraction or hunger or fullness. I have and, the same thing with my yeah. kids. One of my kids will put a half eaten bowl of cereal or um, of ice cream back in the freezer. Mm. Who does that? Yeah. <laughs> I open the freezer and there's a melted bowl of ice cream. Like, <laughs> like, oh, I was just done with it. I'm saving it. So interesting. It's really interesting. And so then that probably speaks a lot to how you've raised your kids, that they don't feel like they have to finish what's on their plate and they can save it for later. By some sort of miracle that has happened. I I honestly, I wish that I could say that was because of my <laughs> superior parenting skills, but... <laughs> That is, that is nature. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. cool. I've managed to stay out of the way of, of nature. Everybody, when you get, when you have your kids of your own, you will learn that all of your professional expertise goes out of your head when your kids are involved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That's, that's cool though. And again, if we have the opportunity to be around kids, you know, I've watched my niece and my nephew and when they stop or, it's interesting. And if, if we're not forcing them, you know, finish everything that's on your plate and just more observing their behaviors, I think we can learn a lot. That's one of the most common things that I hear in my sessions on mindful eating is um, about having to unlearn things that we learn from adults as children, mm-hmm. like eating everything on your plate. Mm-hmm. Or you have to eat foods even if you don't like them, you know, and things like that. And we we get to adults and we still are holding ourselves to these rules that were imposed by people who are not in charge of us anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still have like this level of guilt for, oh, I have to eat it all. Or, you know, I paid for this meal, so I'm going to eat the whole thing. I don't want to be wasteful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw somebody post the other day that whether... You finish something when you're no longer hungry or whether you throw it out, it's a waste either way. Absolutely. And I thought that was such a good way to think about it. Of yeah. It's either a waste in your body or it's a waste in the trash can. And obviously, if you're home, you can put it into the fridge and save it. So it's not promoting food waste. But sometimes there could be that instance when you either throw it away or you yeah. eat it yourself. And Absolutely. Either way, it's a waste. Your body is not a trash can, so Mm. use it appropriately. Yeah. No, it's it's a really interesting idea to think about. Are there any misconceptions about mindful eating that you like to kind of debunk or clarify? I think there's a perception that mindful eating is all about slow down, chew your food, Mm -hmm. enjoy the flavors. That's definitely part of mindful eating. It's absolutely... And, you know, a really lovely thing to do, but it's so much more than that. 
Mm-hmm. Mindful eating is really um, about understanding why you want to eat, especially if you're in the category of an, of overeating or highly restricted eating. And that bringing that mindfulness element in just gives you a bit of a pause to reflect on why did I why did I have the instinct to eat right now? Mm-hmm. And being mindful about what you actually enjoy eating, how hungry you are, how much food you need. For some, mindful eating includes making keeping space for gratitude for all that goes into them having a meal in the first place. Mm-hmm. I think that one thing that's beautiful about mindful eating is that there are a lot of different ways to adopt mindfulness practices into your life. But sometimes I get like shaking my hand or shaking my fist because I want to stand up and say, it's more than just enjoying your food. Like Mm -hmm. it's so much more than that. You know, it's about being a partner with yourself and being in tune with yourself. The way you describe it, self-awareness is coming to mind, you know, because maybe I I kind of hate how the term self-care now has been commandeered and it's kind of trite and it makes me think of bubble baths or, you know, it's like that's that doesn't be it could be what it is. It could be a massage or a bubble bath, but it could also just be going for a five minute walk or, you know going to bed 15 minutes early. It could be something as easy as that. And so the mindful eating thing, I think you're very right that sometimes people think, okay, it's lighting a candle and sitting down with my food and putting my fork down at between every bite and t- chewing multiple times. I mean, it kind of, I, I love the principles behind it, but sometimes I feel like it's now so many people have talked about it and some people have kind of tarnished the image of it where you're, you're describing it. It's just being really in tune with and self-aware. In tune yeah, with and body. I, some of those descriptions, while those are really nice things to do, it sounds like a lovely time, but we've kind of turned it into another diet in a way mm-hmm. of like that. Now I'm doing mindful eating where like you used the word self-awareness and I wanted to add on and self-honesty, mm. self-truth. And self-trust that I can make choices that are appropriate for me right now. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, to be able to live in that type of mindset is, I mean, you could do anything. Mm-hmm. I want to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about a company I've been impressed by for years. Thrive Market is an online shopping platform that offers thousands of products at 25 to 50% off retail prices. For just $60 a year, you get access to a wide variety of premium pantry staples, supplements, beauty products, and home goods at unbeatable prices. To put things in perspective, I save about $20 to $30 per shipment, which means my annual membership fee pays for itself after just two orders. My favorite part about Thrive Market is that for every paid membership, they donate a membership to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. So not only do you save money on your purchases, but you also make healthy products accessible to everyone. 
to read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. Now, back to the episode. I hate the whole trend with superfoods. You know, every month it's a new superfood. And then I'll have a client who will say something like, well, I know I should be eating kale because I'll say, wait, whoa, 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 why? Why why should you be eating kale? And they say, well, you know, it's a superfood. And it's like, well, do you like another leafy green better? Oh, yeah, I like butter lettuce and spinach. It's like, well, then just, you know, eat those. Don't don't buy things you don't like. They're going to rot. Talk about waste. I mean, that's going to rot in your fridge. You're probably not going to eat it. So just learning what foods you enjoy that work for your body. Like you said, Mm -hmm. not just eating necessarily out of habit every day, tuning in uh, to hunger and fullness cues. I know I'm sure that's a big part of what you talk about. And I think that too can be kind of ambiguous and nebulous. It's like, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. Can you share some kind of practical strategies that someone could use to help them tune into those signals more if they're not used to it at all? A lot of people aren't used to it. I know right. I wasn't for a long time. You know, being hungry had nothing to do with whether or not I was going to eat something. I ate because you know somebody brought food or it was a meal time or you know I just was felt like it. And I had to learn what my true hunger signals were. And my, the first thing that I suggest is that you take, you give yourself a couple of days and just prepare yourself for the fact that this could be a mildly frustrating experience because it's going to be new and we are used to having pretty instant mastery of, of skills. This is going to be one that's a little bit squirmy. So just kind of prepare yourself for that. But to take a day or two to have no eating plans and just wait until you feel hungry. And that can show up in a, in a few different ways. You know, you could have just an idea to, oh, I want to get something to eat. So I would pause and ask, am I hungry? And you can take your fist and put your fist just kind of right above your stomach and, and just take a moment to feel and like make that body connection and ask, do I feel physical signs of hunger? Do I feel a burning? Do I feel my stomach growling? Do I feel any hunger pains? Do I have any type of like maybe a headache or I'm kind of distracted or, you know, I'm, I'm you know, feel like I need something to eat or, Was there something else that made me have that idea? Keeping in mind that sometimes things that we think are hunger are actually appetite. Hmm. You know, like smelling food can lead to salivation, which is a sign of appetite. It means that you like that food, but are you physically hungry for it? And... I try to remind folks that, you know, mindful eating is not a diet. It's not a rule-based system where you can only eat if you're hungry or you can't eat if you're not hungry. You can eat whenever you want to. 
it's just a process of checking in and getting to know your body's communication methods so that you can determine, am I hungry in the first place? And then as you start to get more comfortable with knowing, yes, I am hungry, then you can start to gauge the level of your hunger. Mm. Am I ravenous or am I, "Mm, I could eat because that's also going to to play a factor into what you choose Mm -hmm. if you choose anything at all. But I think it does take time. It takes patience to just slow down and really get to know your body's signals. Mm-hmm. And you know, the more you are patient with that process, the the closer that bond will become. Yeah, that's so interesting. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. I was just talking to a sleep expert before this, and she was talking about the difference between fatigue and actually being tired. So she's like, you could feel fatigued because you haven't been outside all day. You can feel fatigued because you need some more water or you need food versus actually being tired and needing a nap. Maybe a nap in the afternoon isn't the best choice. Maybe it's one of those other things. And then maybe the nap is actually throwing off your sleep at night. Similarly, I've never thought of the difference of your appetite might be kind of revving up, but you might not be physically hungry. So an example that comes to mind is I'm working with a client now and she is a nurse and she said there's constantly treats being brought in to the nursing room. And so it's the donuts yeah. or the homemade cookies or whatever. And the, you know, the patients are making them or doctors are bringing them in and she constantly feels like she's hungry when she sees those things. So that's, that's such a cool distinction of your appetite might rev up, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're hungry. When one of my children was young, he used to say, I'm hungry. And I would ask, you know, I would offer, you know, two different snacks that he could choose from like, okay, well, would you like um, an apple with peanut butter or would you like, you know, these, you know, crackers usually with peanut butter? Like that's what you give kids, something with peanut butter. (laughs) And he would say, "Mm, I'm hungry for a cookie. (laughs) And it's like, okay, well, if you're hungry, an apple with some peanut butter, it's going to sound really good to you. Right. Right. (laughs) If it doesn't, you're not hungry. Uh You're just craving. You have appetite. Oh, so that, so would you recommend that for adults as well? Sure. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, you see the donut and it's like, would I eat whatever, right? An apple and peanut butter or would I have something else? And if the answer is no, and then it's not to say you don't have the donut, but just at least distinguishing, like knowing I'm choosing this right now. Yeah. Even though I'm not hungry, but just to more identify what that feels like in your body. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really interesting. Uh, what about in terms of social eating? I have a client that comes to mind right now who said, you know, the social eating is a big challenge for her, or I'm thinking holidays or vacations, all these times that we think are really special food events but then maybe we leave the vacation or the social event or the holiday season feeling just overly stuffed and disgusting. So how, what, what practices or tips do you have for navigating those situations? I learned these skills on the front lines. I grew up in the new Orleans area mm-hmm. where is one holiday after another, and they all have special food. And it's just, it's a very, it's a food centered culture and there's lots of opportunities to just eat your way through the year. 
And, you know, it, it is a real challenge to um, want to participate in those, especially those cultural experiences and enjoy food while also trying to live in balance and moderation. Mm-hmm. My, my advice there is to, you know, really be honest with yourself about which, well, I'm going to back up. My first piece of advice is to be honest with yourself about what about this event is really important to me. Is it the food? Is it the people that I'm with? Is it the environment that I'm in? Is it the the aroma? Is it the sounds? You know, is it the atmosphere? And then just really be honest with yourself about if I took the food away, would I still have fun? Mm. If I took the music away, would I still have fun? Kind of just play around with that. What do I really like about this? And then I would, for the food part, identify what is my very favorite food in this event and go for that first. Go for that first and go for what you really, really want. And don't make the last bite the best bite. Make the first bite the best bite. Because you might not be hungry anymore by the time you get to the end of what you have. So load up your fork with the very best bits and enjoy that very favorite thing. And then really remind yourself, I am living right now. This is amazing. I'm eating delicious food. I'm with wonderful people. You will have so much more satisfaction from that smaller portion of food that you were really intentional about and that what was really what you really, really wanted, that it will be easier to not be as interested in the rest of the meal, Mm -hmm. to keep that sparkling water or bottle of water in your hand, engage in conversation and in the other elements of where you are and let the food fade away. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't happen on your very first time, you know, it takes practice, but go for the good stuff right at the beginning and, and be choosy mm-hmm. about what you have and, and really don't hold back on, on that first bite. What if your favorite thing is the dessert? And so it's go not for coming it. out. Well, <laughs> what, if, what if it's not coming out until it's not being served for, let's say, three hours? They're not cutting the pie for three hours. So um, <laughs> I have this vision of sitting at like a banquet table, like I'm at a wedding or I'm at like a conference or something. And I have to kind of like move my food around to make it look like mm. I've eaten some. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Honestly, there are going to be some times that are not ideal. Mm-hmm. If you think about that, that your stomach being like a balloon and when it's completely empty and you're just ravenous, the balloon is completely deflated. And then as you eat, it becomes a little bit more full and then it can become very full. And if you're going through the course of a meal, you want to avoid getting to the point of being so full that the balloon is about to pop. Mm. So what I would do is, you know, have some of the food that's there if you're hungry for it. You know, sometimes you have to be polite and you end up having to eat things that you might not normally, or you might end up eating more than you would really like to. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would just try to have, you know, polite amounts of the other food until I got to the part that I really wanted. But honestly, one of the best things, most brilliant things that I've ever experienced is 
being at a luncheon with somebody who moved her salad to the side and put her dessert, which was already <laughs> plated, at her place. And she just started eating it. And I couldn't believe it because yeah. she was like eating dessert as if it was like her meal. Yeah. And um, and she's like, well, I might not be hungry when it's time for dessert. And I thought, oh, you're a genius. My husband's going to hear this. And now he probably knows where I'm going with this. But we went to a restaurant with my parents. We'd been there before and he loved the dessert, but we all shared the dessert and he didn't get enough. So he ordered an appetizer. I forget what it, I want to say, like steak tartare or something. And then for his entree, he got the dessert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I was like, what are you doing? We're yeah. all going to get that and share it. He's like, that's the whole point. I don't want to share it with you guys. He is a hero. <laughs> when I was pregnant, we used to go, I would get chocolate ice cream with van- chocolate cake with vanilla ice cream as my entree uh-huh. and dare somebody to look at me sideways. <laughs> That's part of the beauty of being an adult. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want to. You can sit at a table full of people who are eating food and you can just make polite conversation and you know, just have fun with the people around you until what you really want to eat shows up. Mm-hmm. You're, that's, you're allowed to do that. You can do that. Right. And you can be weird and make it weird. And everybody, you will give everybody else a great story to tell later about I that mean, weird person. Clearly. Yeah. I'm telling it now to yeah. hundreds of people, but, uh, yeah, I, I was not pleased at the time. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is so weird. Don't do that. But now he's going to love hearing this because he's going <laughs> to, he's going to yes. say, Heather said I can do it. So I'm sure he's going to do it yeah. more in the future. So I probably yeah. shouldn't have even brought it up. And he's uh, not alone. He yeah. should, everybody should do that. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in evidence-based sustainable weight loss. If you're ready to stop yo-yo dieting and start living a healthy, active lifestyle you're proud of, I'd love to work with you in one of my programs. Unlike restrictive, one-size-fits-all diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed nutrition and lifestyle habits that work for your unique likes, dislikes, and time constraints so you can lose weight permanently, have high energy throughout the day, feel completely in control of cravings, and stay consistent long-term. To learn more, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Health Investment. What about uh, emotional eating? This is another conversation that comes up a lot. So emotions ranging from I am feeling tired and I'm kind of like eating to stay awake or I'm feeling bored or I'm anxious or joy, even I'm joyful. What are your tips for kind of coping with eating for emotion versus hunger? The first is always going to be um, awareness of the fact that it was an an emotional cue Mm -hmm. that led you to food so that you can have that pause. Am I hungry? And if the answer is no, then really turning into yourself and asking, well, what is it then? You know, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? You know, is it something in my environment? And starting to look for patterns and tendencies in a non-judgmental way Hmm. so that you can just notice, oh, when the phone rings I feel anxious. I want to get a snack, but a snack doesn't cure 
anxiousness. So what I really need is some deep breaths. And it takes practice. But getting to know if you Google like basic human needs, like feelings and needs. And some of the most common are connection, validation, and affirmation. Um, the human touch, you know, friendship. And many times the absence of those is what leads us to food. Because if we go back to when we were children, if we go be, beyond, beyond that to when we were babies, you're being cradled safely in somebody's arms while you're being fed. Mm-hmm. Food has been connected to safety since the beginning for us. So it makes perfect sense that we're going to go to food first when we need comfort and safety. Mm. But by just knowing that that tendency is there, being aware and getting yourself into the habit of asking, am I hungry? Then you can start to notice the patterns and tendencies And then it's really helpful to have an awareness of what types of behaviors are a good solution to those common needs Mm -hmm. so that you can even write them on a piece of paper. You can have them someplace on your phone so that you can remember when I do this activity, I feel this feeling. I want this food. I will take this action. Mm. So you're acknowledging how you feel. You're allowing yourself to want the food, Mm -hmm. but you're making the choice to solve the actual need. Mm -hmm. And that that. just comes with practice and and some Uh self-compassion. So you said, when I feel I want, I will. Yep. Ah, I like, I'm writing that down. (laughs) Or you could, you can make it four things. When I uh-huh. Blank. I feel blank. I want mm. blank. I will blank. Uh, yeah, I like that. Uh, that kind of connects again to another client the other day was talking about eating at night, watching Netflix. And they realized as they started getting more curious about what is the cause of this, I've just had dinner. They realize they're eating because they do feel very tired and they're eating to stay awake. It's not so much about the show they're watching. And so then she said, I'm just going to start going to bed. I'm tired. (laughs) So she cleans the dishes. She puts everything away. She bypasses the couch watching Netflix and she just goes up and maybe even watches something in her bed away from the kitchen. But she's like, I know when I'm in my bed that now I'm going to go to sleep soon. So I'm not trying to kind of like stay awake and keep the night going. Right. on the couch and that just completely eradicated the late night snacking for her. And it's just, it's so interesting when you get really curious, but also like you said earlier, when you start to tune into hunger and fullness cues. So if you were to take a few days and not eat breakfast just because you're awake or, you know, not eat a snack just because you usually do, it does feel uncomfortable. And I think sometimes we take discomfort as a sign that we're doing something wrong, Yeah. but knowing this isn't going to feel great Right. At first, when you notice I'm feeling anxious, 
I'm not going to turn to food. I'm going to call my best friend today instead, or I'm going to go for a walk. I mean, it's not going to feel great for a while. No, it's not. It's going to feel weird. And you're, you're going to want to go back to what you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's just, that's just part of the, the work of change. You know, if you, you've got to create new pathways and they don't, you know, you, they don't happen overnight. You know, it's the type of thing that you have to put some intention and effort into, mm-hmm. but the rewards are so worth it. Yeah. Speaking of being more mindful about eating, I know another challenge a lot of people have is the people in their lives are not going through the same journey. So if they live with a partner or kids, if everyone around them isn't being more mindful and is just kind of doing the old patterns uh, or you know, somebody brings you cookies for your birthday, they bring you a dozen and you want one, but now you have 11 left over, or maybe you don't even want the cookie when they bring it, but you feel like you have to have it. How do you deal with this kind of family or societal pressure when you're on this journey yourself? That's such a good question because it's, um, I think that there's a variety of different answers. I think probably the most sensical thing to do would be to stay true to yourself. Yeah. I know that sounds like such trite um, advice and maybe easier said than done, but again, like all of these habits, you know, with practice um, it can become easier. I think also having realistic expectations about, you know, what you are able to control and manipulate and influence during the day and in your life and what you're not, you know, you can't necessarily influence what other people are going to do or the choices that they're going to make because you don't want them to have to take that approach with you and and try to influence your choices to match what their needs are. Mm -hmm. And so I think just having the awareness and the expectation that, yeah, this is going to be, there are going to be people that don't get this and and there are going to be, there's going to be times when it feels weird and I'm okay with that. And when it comes to the social element of people bringing you food, I I think just trying to stay in the mindset of why are they bringing this to me? Mm -hmm. It's probably because they want to show me love. They want to show that they're thinking of me. They care about me. How can I show them that I have felt loved Mm -hmm. and felt cared for without eating a dozen cookies? Right. You know, and just trying to kind of stay one step ahead of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then remembering all also that this is not one of those, you know, if you mess up, you must go back to, to zero. <laughs> like None of us are getting this right. A hundred percent of the time. We're yeah. all just doing the best we can. I had a client who was recently traveling to the Midwest to see family and the way they show love is through food. So she was really worried about it, but she noticed if you just take it, and even like you said, if you have a bite and kind of move it around your plate, that's enough. Mm-hmm. If you just say, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. It's this whole thing of, no, try it, have it. I made this for you. It's your favorite. And she said, after you take it, nobody actually pays attention to what's yeah. on your plate or how much you've eaten because they're then focused on what they're eating. And I think right. people mostly care what's going on with them mm-hmm. versus other people. But yeah. that was eye-opening to her that, you know, you just... You just take it, have a bite or two, and then leave it, and nobody cares. Exactly. And so I think we put too much pressure sometimes on what other people are going to notice or watch, and 
a lot of times people don't care about us in a good way. In a good way, right. In a good way. We are not the focus of what they're paying attention to. You know, they wanted to, to bring you something because it was important to them Mm -hmm. more than they wanted you to have it. And I, I think it's just can be so liberating when we free ourselves from everybody needing to like what we do. Mm-hmm. I think you make a really good point there. When I post mindful eating strategies on Instagram, TikTok, there's always people who push back in the comments of give us a list or you know, just tell us what to do. And I think it can be scary if you followed you know, a list of foods, good foods, bad foods, if a diet has been giving you rules your entire life, releasing that and entering into this space can feel very, very scary. So what would you say for that person listening who is intrigued, but scared, what's the first step you would encourage that person to take? Remember that you're safe. Hmm. It's just food. And I say that as somebody who's recovered from an eating disorder, Truly, you are safe and it's just a piece of food. You never have to eat something that you don't want to. You, nobody is going to force you to eat something that you're not ready to eat. So while, yes, everything is an option, everything is available to you, doesn't mean that you have to eat it. So move at your pace, take the steps that you're ready to take, but trust that you have the skills to care for yourself in this moment and make the choice that's right for you. Mm. And that can be so scary when you're used to having everything dictated and following a list and following these rules. But letting go of that does not mean that you're you're out in the world with no support at all. It just means that you're loosening the the, um, the ties a little bit. Mm -hmm. So go at your own pace, trust yourself to be able to care for yourself. You're better at that than you think you are. And if you feel like it would be helpful to have somebody that you can, you know, kind of check in with, whether it's a friend or a family member or a counselor during those times when you're not sure, absolutely do that. We're all in this together. Mm. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Mm, I love this question. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So many directions to take this in. Um, To make a health investment means you're in it for the long haul. You know, recognizing that this is not a a quick process. It's an investment. Mm. And many times investments are made up of small deposits consistently over time that yield millions Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you are consistent and and compassionate towards yourself. Mm -hmm. So for me, an investment, the health and making the health investment means valuing yourself enough to invest in making yourself enough of a priority that you're getting regular deposits and diversifying mm. <laughs> so that, you know, you're, you're open to, you know, the path that your life is going to take and not thinking that it has to stay exactly the way you thought it was going to be when you were 21 or something like that. 
I love all the analogies that you can make between money and health, because I think we get it with money and it makes sense to us. But then with health, you know, if, if we apply it, we can kind of get it more there. But I don't think anybody's ever used the term diversified before. That's, <laughs> that's great, though, because it's true, right? You want to diversify your investments. And so in the same way, you don't want to only focus on movement important to focus on nutrition, sleep, you know, stress, all these other things. So that's uh, beautifully said. Well, well said. where can listeners follow and find you and tell us more about your book? Oh, yes. Well, so if you want to find me on the internet, just type in Heather solves everything and you will see my shining smiley face. And um, that's the name of my podcast. That's the name of my social media. And yes, I do have a book. Um, it's called Happy, Healthy You, Breaking the Rules for a Well-Balanced Life. And it is a compilation of 52 essays, hmm. one for each week of the year. Your year can begin the day you open up that book. And um, also includes some reflection questions and journaling prompts, um, all designed to help you determine what your rules are for life. So it's available on Amazon. And if you go to your local bookstore and you tell them that you want them to order it, they will do that. Yeah, good. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for everything you shared with us today. I'm going to put the links to where people can find you in the show notes. And again, just grateful for your time, Heather. I know I learned a lot. I was taking notes. People probably hear me typing, but um, I'm sure my listeners did as well. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It was a joy. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.